You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. going to start, we're going to read chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 3 down to 11 in 1 John. So if you grab your copy of God's Word and flip over there, we'll just uh, start with that reading of His Word. All right. Chapter 3 of 1 John, chapter 2, or verse 3 of chapter uh, 2 of 1 John. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments, The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John said in, in uh, verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, we, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. He proclaimed Christ because he wanted his readers to have that bond of fellowship with John and all around him. It is Christ in the midst of our lives that brings this deepest uh, level of fellowship possible. It's Christ in us. Chapter 1, verse 7 says this, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When we were unbelievers, fellowship wasn't a word we probably used a whole lot. I know, I don't even remember uh, using that before I was saved. Fellowship is something that we might not have had an idea of, of what it meant or how we even were to live that. But when Christ drew us to himself, you know, eventually became saved, you know, the blinders come off. And now all of a sudden that word fellowship meant a little bit more to me personally because the church that I was in, we spent a lot of time together and it was that close, intimate um, relationship with the brothers and sisters in Christ. We were there Sunday, we were there Wednesday night. We spent a lot of time together. We had outings just like we do in this church here. We, We get together and we fellowship amongst one one another, but Christ brings us into fellowship with himself 
and with the brethren, doesn't he? That's the beauty of it all. Before that, I mean, my life was shipwrecked. I, I didn't have any fellowship with any, any believers, obviously, because there was no need for me to do that. I never even read a book before I became a Christian because my life was a train wreck and I was living for myself. But you know what I do now? It's all I do is read. That's all I care about. I want to I know his word. I want to read it. I want to study it. I want to be about his business. And it's nice to, to come into a place like this and have fellowship with, with the saints. And that's what John's talking about. The change we all need comes from a relationship with Christ. That's the change we need. But when we have the Spirit living inside of us, all things are possible. The Spirit inside of us allows us to do that. But that's not true for the unbelievers and those that have rejected Christ, is it? Anyone outside the faith, it's not possible for them to have that true, that deep, abiding fellowship with the saints that a true believer can have. It's just not possible. Why is that? Why is it not possible for them to have that deep relationship with the saints that you and I do? Any thoughts? Right, their, their, their relationship and commitment to the Lord that we have just isn't in them. They don't have the Spirit living inside of them, so it's not possible for them to have that deep fellowship that we do. Today's message is titled, Love the Brethren. Love the Brethren. The reason for that is because John is about to address another test of those who are in the faith. You may have remembered, but there's basically four tests, three that we've already talked about. Chapter 1, verse 7, first test of the faith, whether you're actually walking in it. He says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the first test is, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we, we can be assured that we love Christ if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. The second test was in chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We talked about the commandments. If we keep his commandments, if we obey and do the things that he's asking us to do, not out of a works-based salvation, but out of a love for him. If we keep his commandments, if we walk with him, then we can be assured that those Believer, those are believers in Christ. The third test, he says in, uh, I believe it's verse five, let's see, the one who said, yeah, the one, verse six, uh, but whoever keeps his word, verse six of chapter two, that is, but whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. So whoever keeps his word is a true believer. And then our test for today is found in verse 10. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. That's the fourth test. You can see it right there. If we love the brethren, the test is, do they love the brethren? He says that if you do that, then you're in the light. I love that, right? You're in the light. If not, then you're in darkness. 
what this verse is all about. These verses are going to be about today. John spoke a ton about love in his Gospels, didn't he? Seems like all throughout the Gospel of John and through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, I mean, love is just so characterized in, in everything that he does, and he talks about it so much. And, you know, it's been said that John has called, been called the apostle of love for that very reason. Um, Jerome's commentary on, on uh, Galatians 6.10 I um, don't know if you know this or not, but Jerome translated the Old and New Testaments into Latin. And uh, that was the Bible for about a thousand years up until the Reformation period. And Jerome said that John wasn't able to preach anymore when he was uh, at the church in Ephesus. Um, he was up in years. He was 90 plus years old. And uh, because of this, because of his age, they said that he would, they would carry him in uh, on a chair and he would say to the congregation, love one another, you know, love one another. And when they would ask him about it, why he would say that, he would say, because it's the Lord's commandment. And if you do this, it's everything. And I think that's true. If you love the Lord, and if you love his people, then it manifests your true spirit of love within you. So, the body of our, our uh, message today is going to be found in um, chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. We're going to start there. Verse 7 says this, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. So he says, Beloved. When you hear that word, Beloved, what... What, what, do you, what comes to your mind? It's not a common word we would use, right? I don't use it in my emails to anybody. Beloved. What, is, what does that mean? What, when you think about that, what, what should it bring to our minds? I mean, any thoughts? Love for the brothers and sisters. Yeah, it's definitely a love for the brothers and sisters in Christ for sure. What else? Say that again. A warmth. Yeah. Yeah, it's a warmth. It's that sincere, you know, love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for sure. I mean, it, it's just, uh, you know, he uses this term a little bit, uh, or just the idea of it, you know, when he says, you know, fellow believers, my little children, he said in chapter 2, verse 1. I mean, it's it's definitely a, a term of love and a you know, it's a, that deeper meaning of it all. And when you when you look at the the saints, there's a different perspective that we have, right? Yeah. Exactly. How close his relationship is to the individual um, speaks a lot to that, because we have that connection with one another, don't we, through the fellowship of the Spirit, and that connection we have is deeper. So when he says, beloved, it's that kind of a meaning. He says, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment. What the heck does that mean? (laughs) I'm not writing writing a a new commandment to you, but an old commandment. You know, it's that the attention is drawn to the contrast of the old and the new commandments. It's not new, he says, but in fact old. And I want to remind you of this, he says. I want to remind you of this. What was the old commandment? 
Well, we can get an idea of it if you look down at verse 10, which we, we read already. But verse 10 gives you an idea of what the old commandment is. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So the one who loves his brother, that's what he's talking about. And we also see this in 2 John 5. 2 John 5, he sa- it says this, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, and then here it is, that we love one another. That's, that's that new commandment, old commandment. Love one another. I love that. The old commandment to love one another is something that they all would have been familiar with, wouldn't they? The fact is, it's an old, it's, it, it's an old commandment, you know, that they love the brethren. The word you have had from the beginning is the old commandment. That's what he's saying. There is something you already know because you have heard it. It's been taught throughout the history of Israel and down through the New Testament from what they had, that you are to love God and to love your neighbor. That's, that's the commandment. That's been taught from way back when. I mean, Joshua said it in chapter 22, verse 5. He said, only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. That, that, that's, you can see that throughout the Old Testament. And it's filled with these kinds of references. And you see it also in Leviticus 19.18. It says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, you know, the saints would have, would have known it you know, from the teaching of old. They've heard it before. So in this sense is what he's talking about. Our verse, the old commandment, is to love the brothers. John said that the old commandment is from the beginning. From the beginning. Well, we heard about the beginning in chapter one, the first chapter, when John says about Christ, what was from the beginning excuse me, about the gospel, what we've heard from the beginning, what we, excuse me, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He uses that word, the beginning. The beginning of what? We talked about that way back when, when we talked about that verse. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, and he uses it again here in chapter 2 verse 7. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The beginning of what? Yeah. So it could refer back to creation. You know, that's what uh, John chapter 1 verse 1 talks about. Could refer to that. What other thoughts could it be? Yeah, it's it's the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of their relationship that they had with the Lord. 
That, that's what I believe this is referring back to here is that we have heard this reference before. What is from the beginning? Witnessing, you know, think about what John did. I mean, he was witness Christ. He walked with Christ. That's what was from the beginning is what he had witnessed and proclaimed to everyone that this is the message. I think he's talking more to probably Gentiles scattered throughout uh, Asia Minor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could get the idea that because we're talking Old Commandment, New Commandment, that it could be preaching to, to Jews here. But I think it was primarily to, to Gentiles scattered throughout Asia Minor. So I think the idea here for me is sometimes that we just need to be reminded to get back to the Word of God. We need to be reminded to put our focus back on the right things. I don't know about you, but we, you know, I've drifted from time to time in my walk with the Lord. And it's nice to have a reminder, you know, to get back to the commandments of Christ. <laughs> you know, First John 2, 5 says, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. The word which we have heard the old commandment was to, to, to love one another. Remember that John was around 90 years old when he wrote this. So, I mean, he had a lot of experience. You know, when you're reminded, when you live, you know, a long life, you know, sometimes, you, you know, he's calling us back to the remembrance of it all. Remember, you know, to, to focus your love on Christ and on the brethren He's bringing that back into clarity for us. Um, the beginning of Christ and what you've learned from the Old Testament and New Testament, he's saying, and put into practice those thoughts and ideas, you know, to love the brethren, to love God. That's what he's doing is he's bringing it back into our perspective. When I was young in my faith, I heard the, to love, love the brethren all the time. But when I was a babe in Christ, I didn't really understand the full perspective of that. I didn't understand the full meaning of what it meant to love the brethren. But now, older in years, well, you can kind of tell, right? Uh, gray hair, you know, and, and studying and being around it more, you know, I understand what it, what it means more. But I also need to be reminded on a consistent basis to actually do those things instead of just, oh, yeah, I know it. But living the faith and doing it are two different things, isn't it? It's hard to just give of yourself sometimes. So we need to be reminded to get back to that. Put love into practice. How to live our faith. So you, verse 7 is kind of a, you know, old commandment, new commandment. I, I, one commentator I read kind of summed up the verse this way, and I thought it made sense to me, so I'll share it. He says, divinely loved ones... No commandment, new in quality, am I writing to you, but a commandment, an old one, which you have had constantly from the beginning. The commandment, the old one, is the word which you have heard. It helps me to kind of put that into perspective. Then John shifts gears a bit in verse 8 when he says this. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you 
which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John now says, oh, wait a minute. I guess I am writing a new commandment <laughs> to you, right? Didn't he just say that he, was, he wasn't writing a new commandment? But now he is? What's going on here? And I like the, I want to draw this to your attention. I just uh, thought about this this week when I was studying this passage, but he used commandment here just in the singular. And if you look back to chapter three or chapter two, verse three, he uses commandments in the plural. And it kind of reminded me of, well, why, why plural there and commandment here? And I think it's singular in this context um, because love is the greatest commandment. Love is the greatest commandment. Matthew says this, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he said in verse 39, just past that, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and others, I think, is the supreme commandment. The supreme love that we have for all is the greatest of all because that really demonstrates our true love. The first fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it says, is love. That, that's the fruit of the Spirit, that love that we have. Without love, can we really have true kindness? Without that love, can we really have that true compassion for people? Without love, can we have joy in serving? That deep joy that comes from loving the brethren? I mean, I think about this. I mean, can those without the Spirit exhibit these kinds of acts? Sure, right? They can... Unbelievers can exhibit kindness and a level of compassion as well. But I, th- I think what, with the Spirit of God, it's different because it's to the brethren. This is what this verse is talking about. It's to the brethren. And an unbeliever can't exhibit those characteristics to us. That's the difference. John said that this new commandment is true in him and in you. It's true in him and in you. The old commandment was to love our neighbors, but what's this new commandment, and is it new? There are a couple of definitions for the word new that John uses here. When he says that this is a new command, he is using the Greek word kairos, which carries its meaning around the concept of time, around the concept of time, and when something came into existence is what he's talking about. John is saying that this commandment is not chronologically new. It's not chronologically new. It didn't just come about right now. It's already been in existence. Okay? This is not new teaching, brothers and sisters. I'm not writing anything you haven't already heard is the idea. It's not new in time. And then the other word he uses is kainos. Kainos. And it it means being of a greater quality. This commandment is of a greater quality. The substance of the commandment has its meaning at a deeper level. It's it's almost like you could say it's it's fresh. It's new. It's like an old house getting a, a, a fresh paint job in a way. You see the quality of the house and, and you understand that it's still the house, but it's new now. It's freshened up with this new paint on it. 
Revelation 21.1 gives the idea of this word new. Then I saw a new heaven. So this is kainos, a new heaven and a, and a new earth. That's kainos. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. You see that new heaven, new earth, the quality of it and the substance of it and the freshness of it has changed. It's better now. It's refreshed. Same as he says in Revelation 3.12, Any more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Kainos, Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new Kainos name. The quality of the new Jerusalem is changing. The commandment takes on a slightly different idea now because of how it is being applied is the idea. It's a new commandment, but yet it's just been refreshed because of what reason? How is this new commandment old and yet new? How is it new or old and yet new? Any thoughts? How is it old and yet new? What makes it new and fresh? It seems like a contradiction at first glance, doesn't it? Let's read verse 8 again. On the other hand, in verse 8, he says, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He says, it's in him. It's in him. The old commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself, but now the new commandment is true in him. In who? It's, it's new in Christ, isn't it? He came into the world and he gave us an example of how to really love that we didn't have before. We didn't have that same kind of example before. Our example of love can find no greater example than that which is in Christ. It's true in him because he is the perfect manifestation of love. He demonstrates it, doesn't he? The idea is clearly seen in the Old Testament, but now we have the supreme example of Christ to show us how to really love. He provides us this example. Uh, 1 John 4.10, if you just wanted to look there. 1 John 4.10, just flip over a couple pages. says this, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So he made that sacrifice for our sins, right? I mean, is that not greater love? That's a a good example of love. And also in John 10, 14 to 15, he says this, I am the, the good shepherd and I know my own, my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and he says this, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I mean, that, that's, love is displayed in how he took all of our sin for us. I mean, it's, it's, it's wiped away. I mean, as far as the east is from the west. I mean, what an example of love. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm motivated to love the brethren because of that kind of love. 
that the Savior gave for me and for you. That's, that's amazing to me. There is no new theology here to discuss. Uh, Christ has loved us with an everlasting love at the cross. He's, he's changed it. He's given us a focal point. He is our example of how to love others. In, cha- in John chapter 13, it says this, He girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. I mean, is there any greater example besides the cross? I mean, here's the Savior of the world. I mean, bending down to wash the disciples' feet. I mean, that, that example of love to me is like, wow. I mean, how can I do that? I need to do it. When John says this is a new command, it is because the illustration is found in Christ. We have it in Christ. He's our model of it all. For the God of all creation to get down and do that is just mind-blowing to me. But he said, the new commandment is manifest in Christ, but he says it's also manifested in you. It's in you. That's... John says that the example of loving our brothers and sisters is new because he's our model and it's new in us. How is it new in us? How is it new in us? It's new in us because of salvation. It's new in us because of the spirit of God that resides in us. First John uh, chapter one, first uh, John four, nine, you're right there. You might still be there. 1 John 4, 9, by this, the love of God was manifested. How was the love of God manifested? It says it's in us. The love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay, how how do we live through him? How do we live through Christ? How do we do it? We live through Christ by his example, by how he by how he walked, absolutely. What else? It's probably the greatest one, right? <laughs> I don't know if you can get any greater than that. We live through his example. Um, but we are an extension of him to the world. Because he is in us, we manifest that love to the world. By that case, we live through him and we are in him. All right. So why is he writing a new command? Why is he say he's writing a new command? Because in, in uh, verse eight there, um, he says, excuse me, seven, eight, let's see, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter, sorry. Verse uh Eight, he says, on the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. And then he tells us why he's writing it. He tells us why he's writing it, right? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What does it mean to walk? What does it mean that the darkness is passing away? I mean, what is he talking about? And the true light is already shining, 
The metaphor of light and darkness is something we've already talked about. Uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 5, it says this about God, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. He is morally pure. He's perfect in, in every sense. But now we see it in a different context slightly in this passage. Darkness is associated with the kingdom of Satan, and Christ rules the light. He owns the light. So John says that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The darkness isn't passing away though. Do you see that? I look out and I see darkness increasing. And I don't mean, well, yeah, I guess I could say that now because it's fall, right? I mean, the, the physical darkness is fading away. It's coming in. But we're talking spiritually here, right? I, I don't see that the darkness is passing away. I see it's increasing. Do you see that? I do. I see it all over the place. It seems to be getting worse. So how can the darkness be passing away then? How can the darkness be passing away? Because what? Because the, because the world is passing away. It's progressing along a path, and that's true. I mean, it, it is like a dark world that is completely black, and, and then you, you picture Christ coming into that world, and that light starts, started that process, right? That light came into the world, and now you and I, believer by believer, right, we're, we're shining our light, all over the place, the best that we can. And we're walking that way. And in that sense, sure, the light is increasing, but our lights are never going to put the darkness away, is it? When is that going to happen? Great white throne judgment? Yeah, at the end times? When Christ returns in his glory. Exactly. In Revelation 22, it says they, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be any night and they will ha not have need of light, of a lamp, nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. That light, it, now it's slowly, you know, the darkness is slowly fading away, but in that time, that's when it'll be gone and because we won't need any other light but Christ himself. The darkness is now passing away and each day we're getting closer. We're getting closer to that day that John describes here in Revelation. That, that's exciting. For now though, our part is to be like, bla like a torch blazing out there. That's our responsibility to be in the darkness, shining the light of the truth. That's our responsibility. He's put that within us. We are to be flames of truth, shining brilliantly into the darkness of the world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. For those out here that don't have a love, uh, have that love of Christ, you know, you can come to him. You can come to Christ. Those that truly seek him will be found. Turn to him if you don't already know him. Fall on your knees and repent. Turn away from your sins and desire the true light. 
There's no other source of truth in this broken down world. There's just no other source that you can find. There's no other way into the city of God but through the gate that is Christ. No other way. Our sins have piled up. They're piled up to the stars and nobody can save themselves, can they? It's not possible. Nobody can save themselves. Come to him. Because in that city, there's not going to be any imposters. There's not going to be any counterfeits in that city. I would just urge anyone listening online or here to, to, to fall on your knees and say, you're the Lord, because there is no other way. John says in verse 9 of our text today, chapter 2, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the, is in the darkness until now. All right? Okay. So chapter uh, 2, verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Living a Christian life comes with a responsibility, doesn't it? comes with a responsibility. When you and I say that we love Christ and follow him, it means something to us. It means something to us. It means that we serve him and we want to please him. Right? I mean, that's the idea. The unbeliever, the counterfeit, doesn't have the same kind of love. It says the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother, how is that possible that you have the love of Christ in him? For us, though, it's different. It's impossible to love God without obeying him. We have to obey Christ. Perfect love obeys. That's what the scripture teaches. You can't give God a hug, so the way that we show love is to obey him. That's what John 14 says. If you love me, you will obey me. And that's how we demonstrate it. Counterfeits who say, oh yes, I have Christ, but then they don't care anything about loving the saints. Uh, you know, they're not our brothers and sisters. They're not our brothers and sisters in Christ. John would get called out, I think, by the cancel culture of today by using the language that he used here. I mean, think about it. I mean, hates his brother? Thank you. All right. So yeah, he would get called out, definitely. I mean, you, you can't say uh, these kinds of words today. You can't tell somebody that, you know, they hate their brothers and sisters. It's just not possible in our world because you get canceled. They'd call John the hater and the intolerant one. But the truth is what we have to convey to people because honestly, without that, they can't, change. People can't change without being confronted with the truth of the word of God. And so that's what we try to do. Um, Let's see, I'm going to skip down a couple things. Let me skip down to verse 10. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. We talked about abiding last week. If you remember, what does abiding mean? Remain. Remain. Yeah, if you, if you abide in Christ, you remain in Him. You, you are attending communion, you're worshiping, you're reading your Bibles, you're praying, you're doing all those things. I mean, certainly those that are counterfeit can do those things too, but uh, we do them out of that love for the Lord because He's in us. The goal as we live our faith is to do so in a manner worthy of God. 
We are Christ's ambassadors to a, a watching world and to God we love, we obey, we honor Him. Whether we are at the grocery store or eating at a restaurant, we're, we're, we're manifesting His character to the world. John says that the reason why we do, do that is because uh, we don't want others to stumble. That's what it says in verse 10 there. We don't want others to stumble. And the, the word for stumble there is, is like a trap. You know, this is causing other people to stumble, like essentially setting a trap for them. We don't want our lives and how we live our lives to cause the brethren and other people to stumble. It's like a mouse trap. This is the idea. You know, you put the bait on there, cheese or, you know, peanut butter or whatever it is, and, you know, you get the string over or the, the, the metal piece over there and hook it up and it's just, you know, caught on there, you know. And that's the idea. You don't want our brother to come along and stick his hand or his foot in there and, and get caught in that trap. Our lives should be lived out in a way that shows a way to live that isn't going to cause anybody damage or harm. And that's a good way to think about it is that just live it accordingly to the scriptures. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to skip down a couple things. What are some of modern examples of ways that we can cause other people to stumble in their faith? There's, there's definitely ways that we, you know, old, old ways we, they were talking about the, uh, you know, relation of food sacrifice to idols. Um, you know, scripture says, but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. We're talking about food sacrifice to idols. But what are, what are some modern day examples of how we can cause other people to stumble? Yes. They see us as a hypocrite. Yeah, I think everybody, you know, would probably, that as an unbeliever, would look at a Christian and say, we're a hypocrite. That's one way. What else? Yeah, I mean, drinking alcohol in front of somebody if they really struggle with it, you know, and, you know, you don't want to cause them problems and issues. Sure. What about the acceptance of sin? If we condone sin, I mean, you see that a lot in the church today, right? Homosexuality, um, role of women in the church, pastors. I mean, we condone those things. We can cause brothers and, and sisters in Christ to stumble. And we're not supposed to do that. So our faith's important. We, we have to glorify God. We have to um, stay close to him. And really the last thing in verse 11 says, but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going. One of my family members one time was, we were in Minnesota and we were deer hunting. And uh, the swamps in Minnesota, you you go in them and everything looks the same. You know, so you can follow that monster buck in there on this main path and main trail and think that, you know, I'm going to come out on that path, but it never works that way. Path, the trails dry up, whatever. And, uh, you know, my family member got lost and it became dark and they were wandering around and they, they had no light. They had no you know, flashlight or no headlamp or anything like that. And they were just wandering around in the darkness. They had no idea where they were going because the light wasn't there to provide 
a direction for them and an ability to see. And that's what John's talking about. He's talking about people wandering around in darkness because they don't have the light. And that's, that's the person that hates his brother, he says, is in this kind of darkness. And they walk around, they don't know where they're going, they, they don't have the Bible, they don't, they, they don't have a, a preacher, they don't have the ability to see where they are going. Like my family member in that swamp, they, they, they don't have that. They're just wandering around aimlessly in that. So I would say, wrap up here, is application-wise, three things. Look for ways to show God's love to others. Look for ways to show God's love to others. As you live your life daily, look for those opportunities where you can actually put it into action. Second would be to prepare your minds for action. You got to be thinking about it. Thinking about that. First Peter 1.13, therefore prepare your minds for action. You'd be thinking about your mind. And the last would be to walk with purpose. Sacrificially give of your time and resources to demonstrate the, demonstrate the way that Christ walked. Ephesians 5, 2 says this, And walk in love, just as Christ also loved and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That's how we're to walk. So those three things, if you can think about that, as you live, um, you'll manifest the love of Christ to the brethren and to everyone that is watching. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.